Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West, Salt Lake City, Utah. On a beautiful spring day, joined by the big fella, the chairman. All around good fella. It's a beautiful day, and Brett, hello. How are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. In fact, I am so excited about today's topic that, you know, when somebody puts a quarter in you, yeah. you can't go off, <laughs> you got to prevent me from going off. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about a few things today. Uh, what we are as advisors, as a firm, and what we're not. And also discuss equities versus bonds as it relates to what we are and what we're not. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing that it's, that's important to understand is we're an independent firm. We're, we are what is called a fiduciary. Fiduciary is a fancy word. That basically says we have to, by law, put the best interests of our clients above our own. Yep. And in that, Brian, and this is this is why I think we're unique in the fiduciary world, even in the fiduciary world, because we tell clients what they need to hear, which is often not what they want to hear. Yeah. And those are important conversations to have, but if we're putting, if we're truly putting their best interests above ours, then we will tell them what they need to hear, not always what they want to hear. The other part of that is what we're not. We're not part of the academia crowd. We're not part of the modern portfolio theory age Minus 100 equals the amount you should have in equities crowd. Mm -hmm. And those two kind of go together, and we'll explain as we go around. But as it relates, Brian, equities versus bonds, that's what I want to talk about. And we've talked about that more than once before. Yeah. yeah. Even more so now, because one of the things that that we keep hearing is inflation and inflation's impact on overall returns. And the rising interest rates which could occur in the market, which have occurred in the market, yeah. which could continue. And what are their impacts on client portfolios yeah. and your ability to make money and ultimately accomplish your goals, which we talked about last week. So, Brian, let me throw a few stats out at you. I love stats. And the first stat is that around stocks. And it's over the last two centuries – Stocks have compounded at an annual return of 10% before inflation, 7% after. So a real return of 7%. And just to be clear, when we talk about real returns, we're talking about returns taking out inflation. So... The actual return in, in this scenario was is ten percent annually. This is out of uh, this is data from Jeremy Siegel's book, the Stocks for the Long Run. It's a great book. And uh, but if you take out inflation out of that return, your net return, your purchasing power would be about seven percent annually, which is incredible. At seven percent, it's the old rule of seventy-two. Your money doubles about every ten years. Which it's important to bring up that idea of purchasing power. Yes, because. Let's go back to our fiduciary, putting on our fiduciary hat. The risk that not enough people talk about is purchasing power risk. And 
that's inflation's impact on your money. Correct. And that goes into what people need to hear, not what they want to hear. And that goes into, you know what? You're going to have to be invested in stocks more than you probably realize over a longer period of time, even when you're old, kind of get soggy, (laughs) start losing your hair. So that brings up the real return of over the last 100 years of bonds. That's 3%. Yeah, that's uh, that's 3%. And, uh, and again, that's the real return on bonds. And uh, so that's after inflation. And uh, looking at where, we're, where we are today and looking forward, I don't think there's any chance that we're going to get 3% real returns out of bonds over the next 10, 20 years. I just, I just can't see it. In fact, the math just doesn't work. So, so let's dive into that a little bit more because this is the risk that nobody's talking about or that very few advisors I know are talking about it. And that is the risk of, of number one, inflation, uh, but I, I think even more so interest rate risk. So you, you and I don't want to say, you know, you were born in like 1910. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you were around in the 80s. Where were interest rates in, in the late 70s, 80s? Yeah, in fact, uh, I I was uh, in high school in the early '80s, and uh, I remember seeing on the nightly news. I think it was Dan Brokaw. It could have been Walter Cronkite. I don't remember. Probably Cronkite. <laughs> it probably brother. was. It probably was Cronkite. But uh, <laughs> um, every night there was. It seemed like the headline was you know the inflation rate and where interest rates are at, and I don't think I completely understood it but i just saw it every day every night on the uh on the nightly news and uh at that time the 10-year treasury in the early 80s i think it was 82 it hit 14 percent on the uh, 10-year treasury bond and since that time that was kind of the that was that was the beginning of the bull market in bonds and it's really been since the early 80s so from 1971 to 1981, the 10-year went from 6% to 14%, which is crazy. Yep. And what happens, folks, is interest rates go, go up, right? As you can buy a fixed-income product that's yielding, you know, or that's giving you a percentage, an annual percentage rate at, in this case, in 1981, 14%. Right, but you, you just referenced, uh, was it 70, what year was 71 that? 71 to 81. So 71 to 81. If you had purchased bonds in 71 at 6%, and 10 years later, um, very sim- similar type of bonds were now paying 14%. The value of your 6% bond was worth significantly less. And that's exactly where we're going. Because there's an inverse relationship with, with bond prices and interest rates. So as interest rates go higher, bond prices go down, which means your bonds are worth less. Think about it. Think about it like this. If you have a bond that's paying 6% and now similar types of bonds, exactly the same type of bond, same quality, same maturity date, are now paying 14%, what do you think you know, the value of your bond is, is at that point? It's a lot less if you can go out and buy the same bond and pay, that pays 14%. And that's what we're talking about is... So in 1981, you had 14% 10-year. Really, since then, I mean, it's, it's kind of gone sideways a little bit at times, but, but we're down at, what, 1.6 now? 
1.6% or yeah, in that neighborhood. So bond prices over the last, and you're saying the great bull market of bond prices, bond prices have gone up in value over the last 40 well, years. 40 years. I mean, it's, it hasn't been a straight line up, but uh, like you said, it's been ups and there's been ups and downs in that time frame. And, and, uh, but really we've, we've had a 40 year uh, bond bull market and here we are today, you could say similar to where we were in, in say, 71 or you know, early 70s, where we have really um, low interest rates. And, and uh, so interest rates, if, you look, if you're looking forward and say, you know, we're, you know um, I'm going to invest some money into bonds and uh, trying to you know, figure out if that's a good, worthwhile endeavor, say, okay, if, if bonds stay relatively the same, uh, same interest rate, you know, what kind of money am I going to make on my bonds? So, so let's say 10 years from now, the 10-year treasury is, say, 2% or 1.6% or 1.5%. Okay, you're going you're gonna to make a little bit of money on your bonds, about, probably about 1.6%, but, but that's not taking into account inflation and taxes. So if, if interest rates stay flat for the next 10 years, you're almost guaranteed to lose money in, in high quality, like a 10-year treasury. Um, after taxes of inflation, we talk about the real rate of return. It's you'll negative. Have, rate. You'll have a negative real rate of return if you have inflation of say two percent. Which inflation, if it rears its ugly head, it's even worse. Right. So what you're mm-hmm. telling me, Brian Hunsaker, fiduciary big fella, mm-hmm. is that bonds are riskier than stocks right now? If uh, I would yes. If yes. You're, if you're trying, <laughs> if you're trying to grow your capital, it's almost guaranteed that. Uh, your real return in bonds is going to be negative over the next 10 years. Well, that assumes a flat market. Now, if interest rates, if, if we see inflation and interest rates start going up, uh, that's even worse. Even worse. Yeah. Because the inverse relationship is as interest rates go up, your bond value goes down. The bonds, so bonds that's even will go worse. Down. In fact, here's a quote from Warren Buffett, and we all respect Warren. Fixed income investors worldwide, whether pension funds, insurance companies, or retirees, face a bleak future. So if you're a retiree or you're, you're running a pension fund and you're forced to buy bonds, and some of these pensions are, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, money managers out there that are actually forced by their... Uh, by the academics who set forth the, the mandates of the portfolio. The, you know, the portfolio, ex- <laughs> which, is, which is true. Uh, they're forced to hold, you know, thirty or forty percent of their portfolio on bonds. Um, it's pretty bleak to 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 be able to have to do that. Some of those pension funds are buying real estate. You sent us that article the other day. Yes. Because they're looking for some sort of income. Mm-hmm. Where we're saying, perhaps the better investment over the last two centuries, and maybe over the next century. I want to say maybe. Uh, I'm I'm quite confident it will be, no guarantees, but that's equities, that's stocks. The problem with stocks, Brian, that everybody freaks out, including advisors. See, most advisors want to take a lazy route, and so they, they don't want to they don't want to scare their clients. And the more volatility, which is not risk, but the more volatility in a portfolio, they're afraid that their clients will get scared and fire the advisor. So advisors stick with this academic 60-40-50-50, maybe even 70-30 bonds to equities because of that fear. 
And I think a lot of times people will come in, will talk to an advisor and say, hey, I'm risk adverse. I don't want to take a lot of risk. And, uh, and so the advisor will say, well, um, you know, then you need to have a balanced portfolio. But instead of having the conversation, which is the hard conversation, but is the correct conversation, let's talk about risk and what is risk. And most advisors don't talk about risk, or the, at least they don't even understand risk um, like, uh, like they should. And uh, risk is not market volatility. We've talked about that many times before. Risk is the r- risk is the probability that you will lose your capital permanently. And uh, if you have a short time horizon, volatility can be risk. If you have a long time horizon, say three, five, and 10 years, uh, volatility is just volatility. It's not risk. Um, that I had, I had a, a friend in the industry reach out, somebody that I love. Uh, it doesn't work. He's not an advisor. But he did reach out to me uh, inquiring about our risk assessment tool. And we got in the conversation of, gosh, I hate this risk assessment tool. And he was surprised to hear that. And my, my answer was it's not realistic. This is, there's no such thing as a risk assessment tool because it's all the tools are based around volatility, not risk. A risk tool looks at the permanent loss of capital, not the ups and downs in a portfolio, which risk assessment tools, because they're developed by academics, that's what they look at. And it drives me insane. And it's, and it's also driven in the institutional money management area, yep. you know, markets. Yep. And they're, they're looking at risk-adjusted returns, and, which is, again, volat- you know, taking into account market volatility. Yeah. And uh, the bottom line is it's a bunch of garbage. I've heard Warren Buffett talk about it. I've heard Charlie Munger, some of the smartest investors, most successful investors in history, and say that's a bunch of garbage, you know, this market beta and uh, risk and volatility. It's just, <laughs> it's, just, so, it's just a bunch of garbage. I mean, but I yet agree. a big portion of our industry, probably the majority of our people in this industry, uh, take that definition of risk. Yep. What's that Jack Nicholson quote from the movie? You want the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Yeah, you can't handle the right? truth. Yep. Ex- exactly. And and so so let's talk about volatility and declines. We're coming off of a year a year ago we saw plus we saw great declines. Tell me your thoughts as you talk to a client about declines in the stock market. Yeah, so every stock market decline in history has been temporary. We don't talk about that enough. Uh, people are, all, you know, we are constantly, or investors are constantly trying to avoid the next decline. And in fact, if you, if you turn on the financial news uh, TV, that's, you'll notice that that's really the, the conversation. That's the topic of conversation every day is when's the market decline? And, and they get these experts, so-called experts on and say, and interview them and say, okay, when's your, you know, prediction of when the mar- the next market's going to decline or what's the next leg up or down, you know, is it going to be up or down in this market? That's really the conver- conversation all the time in financial news. It's, a, again, a big waste of time. Instead, investors should be focusing on what kind of businesses should I own and, uh, talk, you know, trying to identify great businesses run by good people, run by smart people, and paying a reasonable price for those businesses. 
instead of chasing their tails. Yeah. yeah. So I have some data here, and uh, like I said, every market historical market decline has has been temporary. We've mm-hmm. we've come out of every single time. Now there's been some times where it take it's taken a long time, but uh, if you here here's the data on it. If you look over the last century, over the last hundred years. 75% of rolling one-year periods have produced positive outcomes. So that means to me 75% of the time in 12-month span, the market is up. 75% 25% probability in one year that the market will be down based on those stats. Correct. Okay. And then if you look at a five-year rolling uh, time frame, 88% of the time the market's up. Okay. If I'm a probability investor, I know which way I'm betting. So, so what that tells me is, even a, even a one year period, the odds are pretty good that you're going to make money seventy five percent of the time. Five years, it goes up to eighty eight percent. Ten years, it's ninety four percent of the time, markets are up, stocks are up, and over a twenty year period, there hasn't been a twenty year period in history yet, <laughs> yet. But I'm not predicting that it's going to happen. But I'm just saying it hasn't happened in history that we've had a negative twenty year. Uh, stock return. I would be quite confident in saying we won't see one. And here, and here's the reason why stocks don't. I mean, this is the why. This is one of the things people don't understand about stocks. Companies generate revenue. Those revenues, they're either the the bottom line after expenses are taken out. There's what we call net profit, and companies reinvest a portion of those net profits back into the business to grow the business, to buy new plant and equipment, to hire new employees, to marketing and sales. Those bi- those re- those that money is reinvesting them back in the business and that will produce future revenue and future growth and future profits. The other part of those dividend or those profits that aren't paid out often are paid to investors in the form of a dividend. Another way that capital is returned to investors is per- stock purchases. The company will actually go out and buy back stock in the open market, thereby removing a slice of the pie out of that pie. So if you had 10 slices in the pie, they take one slice out. You Instead of owning prior to the prior to the purchase, you own 10% of the company if there's 10 slices in that pie. Now there's one slice out. You, know, you own one-ninth instead of one-tenth of the company. Mm-hmm. So you own more of the company and more of those profits. That's another way that companies return capital to shareholders. So I think part of the reason people get nervous about owning stocks because they don't really understand stocks. They don't really understand businesses. But if they really understood them, I mean, you and I, when the market goes down, we get excited about it. Mm-hmm. We get active. We get, you know, we start buying. We look at these as opportunities, market declines, because we know they're temporary. I'm waiting for one now. Yeah, we're waiting for <laughs> one right, right now. And uh, we look at those as opportunities to put money to work at good rates to grow capital at a higher rate in the future. One of my favorite investment advisors slash, um, what would you call him? Guru. Gurus uh, is Nick Murray. I love it. He says this, holding bonds is a defense against temporary, that's what you're saying, temporary declines in equities involves forfeiting more than half of equities permanent Historic return. Just leave your money on the table. This, he says, 
is not a rational policy, investment policy for a long-term investor. Especially it's if you're, not. It's not. Especially if your goal is to to grow your capital, which most you know ninety nine percent of the people we talk to, that's that is their goal. Now we do have some clients that are preservation of capital, but even yep. even that bonds are as far are as more preser- risky. Yeah, even that bonds preservation of capital is not. Too, it's kind of an unexciting future. Yep. Yep, and there are people that still like bonds, and that's great, and they still want us to do it. After explaining all this to them, they still accept the risk of that investment uh, in their portfolio, and that's fine. And as, as long as we are fiduciaries and we tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, and then if they make a decision, that's that's ultimately up to them. We we don't buy. You know, we have we have client portfolios that have bonds in the port, in their portfolio. There's no question. And we will probably always will, but we do it out of necessity, not out of desire to grow. You know, somebody's capital. It's out of because we have cash management strategies. Clients who are in retirement, they need they two need, years worth of cash, they, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's out of those sort of necessities. It's not because you know, basically, somebody's holding a gun to our head and says, "You have to." You know, we have to do it this yep, way. Yep. But you know, I started in this industry about thirty years ago when I started. Uh, money market rates were paying 6%. Uh, the 10 year was probably, you know, 7%. I'd, I'd have to go back and look and see in the early nineties. And, uh, today we, those, you know, money market rates are paying less than, you know, what 0.03%, uh, the 10 years at point uh, or 1.6%. We, it's in a completely different environment. If, if interest rates were at five, 5% or 6%, um, we would own more bonds and portfolios. It'd be, you know, I think it would be a reasonable thing to do, um, for, you know, a lot of our clients. Um, I personally still wouldn't own, you know, bonds. You know, my goal, my objective with my own personal money is to grow it, um, grow it over a long period of time. And, uh, so I still wouldn't be enticed to own, uh, fixed income or bonds, but, uh, but there's a lot of people out there that would. So the two main risks that people have, uh, one they one they may not know about, and one hopefully they do know about, is the risk of the permanent loss of capital within their investments. And we hope this podcast has shed some light on on that risk as it relates to bonds more so than equities. Yeah, because bonds is a very risky asset class, especially right now. Uh, and the other risk is that people do not accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish, which we talked about last week with Spencer. And I think one, they're, they're connected. As we talked about, everybody needs a goal, a plan, and a portfolio to match both. And if any of those three things are not working together, then there's great risk on the client. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that's why we're fiduciaries who tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, Brian. Yeah, and in fact, uh, this year, the bonds are performing really poorly. Uh, Bonds are down this year, and uh, stocks are, actually, so far this year, they've they've performed really well. So we're starting to see maybe some early signs of, you know, what's happening. Of the great bond bull market. Ending. Ending. Yeah. Yep. So it's our hope, folks listening to this podcast, that you understand the risks, uh, that if you need help, 
that you reach out if you have questions and you, you know you reach out we're we're here to put you on the path to accomplishing your goals whatever those may be and that said until next week my friends giddy up <laughs> goodbye this is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.